Good evening. Welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. It is the first Friday of the month of Gay Pride, June. And tonight we're going to be discussing an early 80s drama that uh, deals with matters of the heart and having to come out to yourself. It's a 1982 film by the director of uh, Love Story from the 70s. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, how do and how dee, Mr. Smelly? Good evening. How are you this fine night? How do, uh, how do, uh, uh, DJ, you and I both are in the, uh, well, the, the mid middle of New York state and it was a stellar day today, wasn't it? Just stellar. It sure was. In fact, it was a slight bit crisp, but it did not deter me from having the window open because it was nice to stand there in my, my little home office, not even having to have the fan on. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, I loved it. I had the windows open all night and that luscious cool air coming in. Oh my goodness, it's almost like taking the potion on Death Becomes Her. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Toppy, this is June and shortly the first day of summer will be here. It's around the corner. It's just over 3 weeks away. It's Tuesday, June 21st. Now, I guess I you know, honestly, you know, that's that's when Spanky likes to think of the, the longest day of the year, the summer solstice. And, you know, honestly, to me, that tells me the year is half over with and then the days get start getting shorter. I'm not ready for that. I'm just not. I know. And, you know, don't let him um, convince you that he needs any other excuse to go frolicking out in nature. There. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. But, you know, this year, 2022, was a very important year for June. Not only is it gay pride, but is it all- busting out all over? No, it, this is the first year that Juneteenth, a very important holiday for the African-American community, Juneteenth was the celebration of the end of slavery following the Civil War. So this year, 2022, is the first year that Juneteenth is going to be uh, recognized on June 20th as a federal holiday. Thank you, President Biden. That. Yes, sir. I did not know that. Yes. So um, so we got summer and uh, the first national Juneteenth. And people are making plans to to get out of Dodge and maybe take a trip to the Gold Coast, which is uh, where this film is set. And, uh, you know, I hear our senior showgirl was quite a fan of the leading lady in this film tonight is Gertie around? You know, she, backstage she was talking to me about it, and I, I had no idea that she was such a a Kate Jackson um, lover. What, uh, uh, Gertie? Yeah. Uh, why don't you come up here and uh, you know say hi to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, did I hear you say Kate Jackson? Yeah, she's my favorite angel because she was the smart one, like me. 
<laughs> well, and All right. you know, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that you, you got into the part just like any good actor. And uh, our our lady, our senior showgirl, is actually wearing bell bottoms tonight. In honor of Miss Kate Jackson and all those years on Charlie's Angels. Well, I mean, I thought it was, was she really wearing bell bottoms? <laughs> was she? Because I really did. I'm just saying. I don't know. Wow. That's, well, maybe she did. I don't know. By the way, for about one year, I had Farrah Fawcett's hairdo Ooh. before my hair all fell out. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, you know, in stock in Aquanet fell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't know a whole lot about this movie you're doing um, tonight, but I sure do love Kate Jackson. So I'll go downstairs and do my stupid line. I mean, my lines. Oh, okay? yes, if you would, please. Because right. we it, it's such a nice night out. We've got the skylights open, but... Uh, the weatherman said it might start raining, so we better get going. Yeah, well, you better slam that sucker shut when it rains, DJ, because I i don't want any rain in here, because you know I'm going to be the one to mop it up. All right, anyway, I got to go. I got to do my life. All right, there you go. <laughs> okay. Zach is a success story amongst his contemporaries. He's a doctor with a beautiful wife. They've been happily married for nearly a decade. They've just bought a house, and they want to start a family. Claire has a busy career as a television producer and has no reason to believe there's trouble at home. Until Zach starts staying late at the office and canceling out on plans. Is he having an affair? Is there another woman? We're about to learn the truth in this groundbreaking early 80s drama. Grab your favorite adult beverage and dog-ear the divorce attorney section at your yellow pages. It's time for Making Love with Michael Antkin and Kate Jackson. There's more to love, I What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Okay, so this is 1982 that this film is set in tonight, so hence the early 80s part, and uh, of course this is partially a dark chapter in the history of the LGBTQ plus community, but we'll get into more of that in a little bit here. You mean the decade or the movie? Uh, the time period. This is yeah, okay. right at the beginning of HIV it, and the AIDS sure crisis. Was. Hey, DJ, you don't want to know what I want to do? Look, can we play the trailer right off the bat? We sure can. But before you do, I want to read. Okay. So, folks, uh, we're doing Making Love from 1982. And, uh, well, let's just say the studio had a hard time <laughs> how they were going to present this to an audience that was likely to be easily shocked. So before you saw the trailer we're about to play, I want to read 
the whole thing they put up before the trailer. Uh, I'm going to start at the beginning. 20th Century Fox. Oops, wait a minute. I need to go back. It's past, and I we didn't read that fast. Now stop it. Okay. Uh, no, go back. It's I'm sorry. V- it's VHS. We'll rewind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. 20th Century Fox is proud to present. Listen to this, folks. Is proud to present one of the most honest and controversial films we have ever released. Making love. We believe making love breaks new ground in its sensitive portrayal of a young woman executive who learns that her husband is experiencing a crisis about his sexual identity. Making love deals openly and candidly with a delicate issue. It is not sexually explicit, but it may be too strong for some people. Making love is bold, but gentle. We are proud of its honesty. We applaud its courage. Play the trailer. To him, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Witty, loving, warm. To her, he was a friend she could always turn to. A lover, a husband, a man as compassionate as he was strong. from lunch yet and not at the clinic third time this week but there was a need in him he could no longer keep unexplored i don't know what to do you gotta tell me are you in trouble is there another woman tell me about your mysteries now how much longer are you gonna wait we're gonna cut this out and we're gonna talk i can handle it no matter what it is but i cannot handle the silence so uh, why don't you stay the night i'm in love with claire i don't know what kind of a life I could have without her. I mean, I love her. I don't want to be without her. Zach's the only man I've ever been with. It's the only man I've ever wanted to be with. Then damn it, girl. What are you sitting here for? Making Love. A love story for the 80s. Starring Michael Antkeen, Kate Jackson, and Harry Hamlin. Okay. Part part of the studio's promotion for this movie was that it was directed by Arthur Hiller, who directed a big, big hit. Uh, uh, oh, what's it called, DJ? Love Story. Love Story. Thank you. And so they wanted to say that making love is the love story of the 80s. That's how they want. That's how they tried to promote it. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it got an R rating just simply because it had a man-on-man kiss. Well, I, you know, it's that time. I get that. Um, yeah, that actor guy from California became president and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. That was happening <laughs> then. <clears throat> uh, DJ, uh, 1982, what in the hell is happening in the world then? Oh, what wasn't? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so 1982. Here's opening a chapter, folks. Eddie Murphy made his first appearance on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. 
Commodore 64 8-bit home computer was launched by yeah. Commodore International in Las Vegas. Yeah, baby. And good old Ma Bell, AT&T agreed to divest itself. In other words, split itself up into 22 subdivisions because they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Oops. Oh, right. So late night with David Letterman made its debut on NBC, the Peacock wow. Network. The first guest is Bill Murray, who 33 years later would be the last guest for David Letterman. Wow. A groundbreaking ceremony for the Vietnam Veterans Memorials held in Washington, D.C. Oh, you know, a decade after the the, uh, chapter of history there. 54th Academy Awards was hosted by Johnny Carson in 82. Hugh Hudson's Chariots of Fire wins Best Picture in three other Academy Awards. Mr. Warren Beatty, sometimes on and off, uh, love interest of Madonna, won Best Director for Reds Out, uh, for Reds, sorry, out of 12 nominations. And Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark wins five awards that year. Continuing on in 82, the Weather Channel first began in the U.S., uh, you know, that was possibly right around when we got 24-hour news then. Uh, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper's horror film collaboration, Poltergeist, Carol Ann, Don't Walk Into the Light, is released. Carol Ann. <laughs> Larry Walters, a.k.a. Lawn Chair Larry. You might not have heard of him, but he's famous because he flew 16 thousand feet above long beach california in a lawn chair with weather balloons attached (laughs) you know i think i remember that (laughs) you know it wasn't a ufo it was a weather balloon and uh, larry knows more about that in september oh that year okay first edition of usa today is published in september that year and in orlando florida walt disney world's epcot center opened to the public few uh just a few more things michael jackson the king of pop he released thriller the biggest selling album of all time in 82 and at the university of utah 61 year old retired dentist barney clark became the first person to receive a permanent artificial heart all that and more in 1982 no it's a totapi 82 was just long enough ago that uh, there are a few folks in the world who've made a name for themselves. Tell us more about the celebrities that were born in 1982. Celebrity boys. Uh, Pete Gig. Did I say it right? Buttigieg. Buttigieg. <laughs> uh, I never did learn how. Uh, well, you know him. He's uh, out LBG, LGBT American politician. Uh, currently Secretary of Transportation, mm-hmm. Adam Lambert, singer-songwriter from American Idol originally. Kat Von D, Mexican-born tattoo artist, uh, reality television star, musician and makeup artist. Danica Patrick, uh, that uh, lovely race car driver, breaking new ground over there in the NASCAR. Haley Atwell, <clears throat> uh, she was on... Uh, Agent Carter, Kelly Clarkson, <clears throat> another singer from American Idol. Boy, they get around. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, 
I loved her interview with a vampire, that little girl with the curly hair who cut it off and it would grow back. <laughs> uh, she was also in Little Women, Spider-Man, uh, the first three Spider-Man movies with Toby. Um, and she was in Hidden Figures. Jared Padalecki, <clears throat> girl, Gilmore Girls and Supernatural. Elizabeth Moss. She's from Girl Interrupted and The West Wing and The Handmaid's Tale. Matt Dallas, an out LGBT actor uh, from Kyle XY. DJ, mm-hmm. what's that? I don't know it. Uh, it was a Fox television series about a, uh, a boy that was basically like a test tube baby. And uh, one of the, uh, the gimmicks of the show was that he didn't have a belly button. Okay. Um. Oh, all right. Uh, Anne Hathaway uh, from The Princess Diaries and The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, your hubby, Billy Starsage, in the chat room says, uh, was it me or did this movie, Making Love, need more male nudity? I mean, for what it's worth, behind the curtain, Toppy and I were talking about it, and we wish that we, or at least I wish I had access to a clearer copy, because I would have appreciated a little more Harry Hamlin. (laughs) Well, um, he was uh, pumping weights in a few scenes and and looking at himself in the mirror. He certainly did admire himself a lot, and there was a lot to admire. I mean, I think think he actually looked... uh, better uh, uh and possibly way more shaved in uh that their clash of the titans mm. at any rate um i'd like to know dj making love 1982 what was going on in the theaters what was making love competing with okay so pop your popcorn folks and you know the uh the refreshment stand it's a little more expensive other places than here at the marionette and uh you know, just don't check for expiration dates. Um, oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> hey, hey, DJ, I heard that. The popcorn here has been collected in bags for only five years. So just shut up. Wow. Okay. Oh, what do they say about microwave popcorn? They found that the uh, the um, liquid butter has got some cancer-causing agents in it. Yeah, yeah, that's why we do. Listen, this is... Bagged popcorn pre-butter, okay? It's good stuff. All Don't right. you think you should get on with your show? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So, you know, speaking of uh, butter-flavored making love... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. ...was released in the spring of 82. So after the holidays and before the kiddos were let out of school in March of 82... It had an R rating, so, you know, the adults were going to go see it during the week before the kiddos came for the matinee. It placed number 70 in the box office. No surprise, because we love the underdog. It only brought in $11.8 million. Now, the top of the box office that year was, of course, Mr. Steven Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial, which... You know, I'm an 80s kid, and um, I, I, I've uh, lived through that time when, uh, for a while there, I was too old to have toys, and I wasn't ready for the next chapter of my life. So uh, I used to get copies of movies as birthday presents. So I got a copy of E.T. for my birthday one year. 
And of course, that starred the child actors Henry Thomas and Drew Barrymore, who have grown up to be fine adults. She's hosting a talk show these days, and Henry Thomas can sometimes be seen on new things on Netflix. See, and so number two at the box office is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, that was its original title, but then later on it became included in part of the Indiana Jones uh, series. It brought in $190 million, which, of course, it starred Harrison Ford and Karen Allen. And number three at the box office that year, Mr. Sylvester Stallone put on the gloves for the third time. Rocky Three, and of course it had a boatload of talent in different... Uh, you Wasn't know, that the one with Mr. T? It did have Mr. T, yes sir, and uh, of course Burgess Meredith was his coach in that. So, uh, to put things into perspective... I think he may his character may have died in that movie. Right, not unlike the coach on Cheers, which... I don't recall if the no, actor... No, I mean, his character have... died. The actor didn't die. His character Oh, died. that's right. Right. So, oh, okay. So, to put things into perspective, um, uh, the other films that were around the same position on the box office ladders, Making Love, one above was uh, something called Monsignor. And this was number 69, no pun intended. Um it starred Mr. Christopher Reeve and Jean-Vive Bujold, who is a French-Canadian actress who is known for being in that film called Coma. Um, this film was directed by the director of Mommy Dearest, Monsignor, brought in $12.4 million. It was a tale of seduction between a Catholic priest and a nun. And just below making love on that box office ladder... Death Wish 2, another ah, sequel. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of y'all like the Death Wish series. I don't uh, 11.7 million with Charles Bronson, because why not? Well, and then I think there was a Death Wish 3 and 4. I don't know. Right. They they kept making them until they changed the locks. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into the director, Arthur Hiller. Um he began his career with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And uh, NBC was taking a look at his work over there in the Canada's. And they, they said, oh, well, he's doing some good stuff. And they offered him positions directing television dramas right in the U.S. of A. And uh, this is way back in the 60s. Uh, I'm, we're talking about right here. And over the next few years, uh, his work for TV included episodes of popular shows like Thriller, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Gunsmoke, Naked City, Perry Mason, and Playhouse 90. In 1964, Hiller also directed the first episode of the television series, The Addams Family. So, talking, yeah, there we go. Arthur Hiller, he's most well-known for his theatrical releases, Love Story in 1970, and of all things, Silver Streak in 1976 with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. And, and DJ, did we not do an Arthur Hiller movie? And wasn't it an Agatha Christie movie? Yeah, we the other year we did the Arthur Hiller film that featured 
Mr. Peter Falk, and it was um, the in-laws. Oh, the in-laws. Mm-hmm. He he didn't do that. Um, okay, all right, in-laws. I, I guess all right. Uh, Hiller um, directed "Making Love," which was released in February '62. The story of a married man coming to terms with his homosexuality. Um, he also did "Author, Author." With Al Pacino. Uh, the following year, Hiller directed the romantic comedy um, with Dudley Moore, Mary Steenbergen. Steenbergen. What what was the name? Do we do we know the name of that movie? Was it the? Anyways, we don't. It was a com- It was a romantic comedy. Anyways, in 1983, Dudley Moore was in it, and so is Mary Steenbergen. Okay, there. His next guy. His next comedy was The Lonely Guy in 1984. That was Steve Martin as a greeting card writer. And that was uh, followed by a movie um, uh, called Teachers in 84. It was kind of a comedy drama with uh, Nick Nolte. After that was Outrageous Fortune uh, with Shelley Long and Bette Midler. And that was followed by See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Another comedy, um, possibly their last, I'm not sure, but another comedy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Hmm. Okay, so um, there is a connection between the gay community and this film, other than the subject matter. And uh, that was the uh, the writer, the playwright of the film, Mr. Barry Sandler. Now, he was actually a uh, New York native. He was born out here in the Queen City of Buffalo in 1947. So, uh, you know, he was just of the age to have gone to school with my dad So oh. he is an American screenwriter and film producer. His career spans several decades, and with the 80s being his most prolific Openly Gay Sandler is perhaps best known for writing the 1982 film Making Love, the first mainstream Hollywood film to deal seriously with issues of homosexuality and coming out. Sandler discussed Making Love in the 1995 documentary film The Celluloid Closet. In addition, and by the way, folks, mm-hmm. if 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 you if you can find The Celluloid Closet, please watch it. It's it's an excellent oversight of gay cinema. In addition to his successful writing career, Sandler also teaches screenwriting at the University of Central Florida, because I guess he moved, and serves as one artistic director to Outfest, a gay and lesbian film festival in Los Angeles. He is the recipient of the GLAAD Media Award and the Outfest 2002 Gay Pioneer Award for Courage in Artistry. And it was renamed the Advocate Magazine, it was named by the Advocate Magazine as one of the most influential gay artists in America. And um, I'll take this next part, DJ, because and I, we're, we're going lengthy on this because... Um, the the screenwriter Barry Sandler seems to be the only gay person involved on this whole thing, but I can tell you that the core concept of making love was 
um, from another writer who was a friend of Barry Sandler. Um, and his name is Scott Berg. And he was touring and promoting a 78 biography called Max Perkins, editor of Genius. And during the tour, he touched base with a lot of his male friends from his college days. And there was a lot of talk, apparently, of these guys who were all confiding with each other. Everyone was talking about that they were opting out of marriages for same-sex relationships. And Berg, the uh, Scott Berg, the guy that had the germ of, of the thought for the movie, he said, wow, I, I, I don't know, but he thought this was the next big social movement of our country. And he thought back about the Black Rights Movement um, and uh, the feminist movement uh, in the 60s and 70s. And he really thought that the next big movement is the gay movement and it'll be in the 80s. And so Berg pitched this germ of a story based on his college friend's disclosures to his best friend, screenwriter, Barry Sandler, uh, who, like Berg, was openly gay. And Sandler is uh, known to have said that he resisted scripting Berg's story at first. And then six months came and went. Uh, but he eventually agreed to collaborate with Berg. Um, and Sandler just thought, eh, I've always written, you know, glossy Hollywood films. And his friend's story was just very delicate, he thought. And, and he also realized it was potentially explosive. And uh, he didn't know if he was up to it. Um, because he felt like he had to do a lot of self-exploration himself into his own psyche, uh, into places he'd, he'd never been before. Um, and his friend, Berg, um, whose avowed purpose in this story was translating the gay movement of the 80s into a film, uh because of the studio and because Barry Sandler, the screenwriter, had to, had if they wanted to do this, they had to change things. So uh, instead of the gay movement of the 80s, the planned focus of the movie, Making Love, was turned into a husband and wife's love story, which it was. And and they thought this was important to have a love story to interest a major studio. So they kind of needed it to be there. And finally, uh, there was a newly appointed. This is how the movie got made, folks. Uh, there was a newly appointed president of 20th Century Fox. Um, and uh, now I, I'm going to assume that this is a man, but maybe... That's my bias. I don't know. It just seems a little early to have a woman in there. But the name of this newly appointed president is Sherry Lansing. I don't know, man or woman. I'm not sure. But he, she <laughs> greenlit the project based on an outline of Sandler's predicted screenplay. That is how this movie was made. He, she 
Sherry Lensing was new, probably looking for something breakthrough, got the script from Sandler and said, okay, well, should we do it? I don't know. Um, but they got the director, uh, Arthur Hiller, assigned to it. And uh, that was primarily because of his work on Love Story. And they really wanted making love to be a love story. So Love Story of the 1980s. And that is how that this unlikely movie actually got made. Hmm. All righty, folks. So we are at about the halfway mark in the show. We'll continue on with discussion about the cast in a moment here. We're going to step on over to our refreshment stand where uh, Gertie's going to be serving up one of my first um, adult beverages. It was a fuzzy navel. Uh, make, make sure they have a paper umbrella in there for me, Gertie. Well, fine, okay. And and not one of the uh, ones with a hole in it this time. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, when it, when it rains, you don't want it to thin out the liquor. That's right. <laughs> so, I don't thin nothing down, Buster. <laughs> wow. Oh, so for your listening enjoyment, folks, we have an interview with uh, Dallas Morning News <laughs> anchor, a lady I like to call the Nancy Reagan of Texas. But, uh, her name. We love her. We've used DJs found her many <laughs> times for our movies, and we just love her. So yes, it's Miss Bobby Wyant, and she's interviewing Arthur Hiller, the director of tonight's film. Arthur, in the event that some people say or perceive this as a film that's just kind of propaganda for the gay community, what would you say in in answer to that? I'd say it's not. It certainly it uh, depicts uh, the gay community in a way that I hope will make them happy because it, I feel it's the first uh, film that has gone into any detail or has any, of any length of film that deals with the homosexual as a human being, not in the sense of cruising or of uh, effeminate giggles just for the jokes and something like that. So in those terms... But I, but I wouldn't call it propaganda because you're, I mean, here you are dealing, if you say that, then you say, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a man and woman, eight years married, this great love and devotion to each other, this sharing of everything, and suddenly they can no longer be together because the man is facing up to his homosexuality. Well, you have to say, that's disturbing. You're saying homosexuality is hurting that love. And indeed it is in our film. But at the same time, you also have a man facing up to who he is. And that's terribly important. That's why I think you have a, a variety of emotions working for you in this film. You have the star-crossed lovers who you want to be together, except that they can't because something comes between. You have a man facing who he is, which I think is important to all of us uh, to know who we are and then change it all or do what you want, but at least know who you are. And you have sort of at the end, you have again, star-crossed lovers that you want to be together, but two people also who are happy in their, uh, each in their own relationships. Arthur, in talking with Harry Hamlin, we discussed the kissing scene. And um, <clears throat> I, I gather that that probably was, uh, if not the most difficult, uh, the most worrisome scenes for all of you. Is that right? No, for the actors more so than for me. Uh, because, you know, as the director... Uh, Yes, I thought about it because I wanted to present it 
And then I said, I just, I treated it the way I would treat a boy-girl love story in those terms. And, uh, and yet, I say that, and yet, by the same token, obviously, I was concerned. It was with people who might be disturbed or how, how to get them to understand it without letting their prejudices immediately uh, stop them. The initial kissing uh, is staged a particular way. The set is built to make that staging work right. It's lit. It's done all with intent, but not for the audience to feel that kind of, uh, kind of intent. Uh, I think probably for the actors, uh, more difficult because they, they're doing something that they have not done uh, before and something that they may feel in career terms which is why both of them were were resistant to playing in the movie we had to cajole and to encourage and to to try and bring them to understanding because they were afraid that perhaps Hollywood would look upon them as only good in gay movies or that the audience might perceive of them only as as gay Fascinating. <laughs> mm, and <laughs> clicky, clicky, and we are back. Okay. So, uh, as you might imagine, there was a troop, as, you, as it were, of folks, a boat of cast, or talent, rather, that uh, came together to bring us this film, who made it possible for it to make this silver screen. So I'm going to go ahead and start telling you about the leading man in the film, Making Love, Mr. Michael Antkin. He was born on the west coast of Canada, the Vancouver, British Columbia. His character was Zach in Making Love. He was the husband, the doctor, and uh, he grew up playing hockey and won a scholarship from the University of New Hampshire on the opposite coast. In the 70s, he moved to Los Angeles to become an actor. Making Love was actually his eighth film, so he's no stranger to the bright lights and the cameras. Aunt Keen starred in Willie and Phil in 1980. And this was a film with Margot Kidder and Lawrence Fishburne. And uh, he would, of course, later be in the um, Matrix movies and experiences over a decade of two friends who fall in love with the same woman. So sort of another triangle, as it were. His film after was Just the Way You Are in 84. So this is after Making Love and had television star Christy McNichol. And this is about a disabled musician who thinks people treat her differently because of her disability. So she goes to a ski resort with her leg in a cast to test the theory. Han Keen would star in four films over the next five years since Making Love. In, uh, in 88, he would star opposite Neil Patrick Harris in the aspiring child actor then. First film... Clara's Heart, which starred Whoopi Goldberg, and also, um, oh, I'm sorry, he played the dad in this film, yes. Ankin is today 76, and his most recent acting credit is from Twin Peaks, The Missing <clears throat> Pieces, a 2014 prequel, 
And uh, this film was made from deleted scenes and whatnot, but it starred Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland, and Mr. Unkeen played a sheriff. And uh, to date, he has 63 acting credits. Chris Isaac was hot. Mm. Or is hot. I don't know. I haven't seen a recent picture, but I bet he's still hot. <laughs> I just remember that black and white music video in the 90s, Wanna Fall in Love. And- yes! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so choppy the leading lady she- oh by the way just uh mm-hmm. a personal trivia uh, i got to see him in concert live because he was double billing with uh with with the the, the gay uh country music star that crossed over into pop katie lang katie lang katie lang and 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 that guy w- were doing a double bill, and I saw them in person. Wow! To in one f- of the only concerts I ever went to. Gee, yeah. to be a fly in the wall, that would have been a great night. Yeah. It was. It was. It was a great concert, as I call. Uh, did you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you finish? Well, I was just uh, you know nudging you slightly. We've got a leading lady who's no stranger to oh. Oh. the small screen. Okay, listen, I'm glad you took uh, the male lead, Michael um, King, because I got cake checks. You know why I'm happy about that? Did you used to dress up as her in the 70s? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) But when she was fresh out of acting school or wherever she went, her first role ever, ever, ever was on my... Dark Shadows, the 1960s daily soap opera that made spooky fun. Uh, And she was in mm, the last two years, I think. Uh, Anyway, anyways, Kate Jackson, born in Alabama, famously uh, lost her Alabama accent, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, she could... she still got it back whenever she went back home. Uh, you, uh, yeah, she, she, that was her early career with dark shows. Uh, Making love was her fifth film. Um, just prior to that, she did dirty tricks with Elliot Gould and rich little rich little. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was about a Harvard student that finds a letter that seems to be signed by George Washington, but goes missing as do those who handle it afterward. You know what? I like that. I want to, I want to see it. Uh, that was her first feature film after three seasons on Charlie's angels, uh, which, you know, pretty much blew her and all the other angels into the public consciousness uh, from 76 to 79. So uh, after, after doing, uh, making love in '82, which, okay, for all intents and purposes, <clears throat> for better or worse, making love kind of dumped the movie career of all involved. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but it kind of did. It was such an abysmal failure, and uh, in terms of box office, but also critical, it just didn't. Uh, you know, we're good, we're all for it here. I just want you to know. But in real life, uh, unfortunately, 
well, making love kind of sidetracked everybody's career for quite some time. But Jackson sprung back a year later as in the lead role of CBS's Scarecrow and Mrs. King. And that ran four seasons. And if that's not a success, I don't know what is. She um, later appeared in Loverboy. Uh, that was a movie with Christy Alley and Patrick Dempsey. But after that, she primarily worked in television. Uh, she starred in nine TV movies over the next five years. She was a big uh, made-for-TV movie actress. And uh, and she worked with uh, actors like Ricky Schroeder, Kenneth Welsh, um, um, as well as Bruce Greenwood. Uh, and Ron Perlman. Uh, she worked with a lot of uh, people in her TV uh, movie career, and she's gone on to do other things, and she's got about 58 acting credits. And lately, the, the probably the most uh, recent thing you might have seen her on was an, an episode of Criminal Minds in 2007. Currently, she is 74 years and looking lovely. Okay, so now we go on to Mr. Joy Boy, Mr. Rent Boy, maybe? Because, uh, uh, I mean, the doctor did uh, drive down a dark alley at one point in the film. Spoiler. Uh, Harry Hamlin, and uh, I'm forgetting, uh, he played Bart. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Hamlin is born in California out there on the Gold Coast. He's a Yale graduate. He's got some smarts as well as some looks, folks. And he's got degrees in psychology and drama. His father was an astrophysicist. Now, I mean, can you imagine being the person that goes on a date with Mr. Hamlin and uh, you're going to meet the parents and you find out his dad worked at NASA. Well, wait a minute. I have a similar experience, DJ, because uh, when I go to Maryland uh, with your friend uh, Janet, uh-huh. uh, her. Oh, her uh, wife? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of has a super secret NASA giant, super secret, <laughs> incredibly smart guy job mm-hmm. right am, or am i crazy well you know uh um my uh my friend ma ren there once told me that she has an fbi file only because a member of her family applied for a job in aerospace <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> they just want to make sure that all your uh, nuts and bolts are tightened but anyways mr hamlin's father is an astrophysicist not only any astrophysicist, but he helped design NASA's Saturn V rocket. You know, the the vehicle that got us to the moon? Yeah. Oy. The best Saturn V, also a movie with uh, uh, Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. I mean, you know, I'm sure Mr. Hamlin's papa has passed by now, but uh, I would uh, go out on a date with Harry Hamlin just to get his dad's autograph. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Harry Hamlin is best known for his portrayal of the role of Perseus in Clash of the Titans. You know, that's that. uh, I I play around with the best known for, but mm -hmm. certainly in in terms of that time, that was his biggest deal. 
uh, Clash of the Titans. But I, I think where he really made his mark was in L.A. Law. Mm-hmm. So Clash of the Titans came out in 81, and it had uh, Mr. Well, Sir Lawrence Olivier in one of his, I believe, one of his last films. And uh, Maggie Smith, who, of course, is later, uh, you know, most well-known for the Harry Potter movies. And Burgess Meredith, which we just talked about in Rocky Three, Making Love was Harry Hamlin's third film. And the film after was called Blue Skies Again in 83, and starred Mimi Rogers, who would later on become the new Mrs. Robinson in the 90s Lost in Space film. And Blue Skies Again was about a minor league baseball player who competes with a female athlete for an opening on the team. What kind of opening? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, dear. Why did I say that? I don't know. Gertie, I think, has been um, touching up your drink there. Hamlin has mostly worked in television and appeared in four TV series over the next five years. In 86, he was cast in the aforementioned L.A. Law as Michael Cusack. Yeah, and that was, he was very, very appealing hmm. on that show. This ran from 86 to 91, and in 2004, he had a series of a dozen episodes of recurring guest appearances on the then-UPN, later CW series, Veronica Mars. And it was a, a show about a girl who was uh, investigating disappearances in a small town. So in uh, 2011, Hamlin was a recurring guest on Lifetime's Army Wives. He had mm, Lifetime? Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get Kate Jackson some work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know Kate. Even though I don't have her filmography in front of me, we know Kate Jackson did Lifetime movies of the week. <laughs> her and um, Linda Linda Hamilton. Uh, so let's see, Army Wives for eight episodes. And in 2014, he would join the sixth season of AMC's period show. Mad Men, which is a drama about one of New York's most prestigious ad agencies at the beginning of the 60s. In more recent years, Hamlin has appeared in eight TV shows in the past five years and currently has two in post-production to be released later this year. Hamlin is is, uh, this year 81 and to date... Oh, no, that's... That's ridiculous. And he has 92 acting credits. So 81. Yes, uh, Mr. Hamlin is uh, following Mr. Sean Connery's footsteps. He's going to be paying the bills for quite some time. All right. Well, listen, I wanted to give you some some interesting trivia, because you know how when they're casting movies... Uh, you know, it, it they may start with one person or another, and then, well, it trickles down. It trickles down and down. Well, they had a real problem with making love because a lot of the people they pitched the movie to just didn't want to be in it. And, uh, and some of those people would be Michael Douglas. They wanted him to be Zach. <laughs> and he, he passed... Because he read the script and he just wasn't very satisfied with it. And they did a rewrite now, to please him. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't Mike Douglas also in that um, that Greek-Roman period movie, Spartacus? 
No, no, no. That was his father. That oh, his okay. Father. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, anyways, uh, they did a rewrite to please Michael Douglas in hopes of getting him a Zach. And then he read it and he said, I'm sorry, I still don't like it. <laughs> so they he passed again. Uh, another uh, ar- uh, actor, uh, they courted to play Zach, Tom Berenger. Hmm. And, uh, well, he passed because of a scheduling conflict, supposedly. I don't know. They also asked Harrison Ford. <sighs> they also asked William Hurt. I mean, they also asked Peter Strauss. Okay, have they not seen? Uh, um, what was it, Mister? What, what's the name of the movie with Diane Keaton, Mister Goodbar? Did uh, I not ask Richard Gere? Richard Gere. <laughs> Why wasn't Richard Gere asked? Anyways, <laughs> uh, they all passed. Um, and uh, Arthur Hiller, the director, confided in someone. He said, "Well." Most actors we approached to star in Making Love just advised him not to even consider them. (laughs) (laughs) So you might actually have some admiration for Harry Hamlin for taking this role. I think there's something there to admire. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, he just done a, a very well, received movie um clash of the titans he didn't have to do this movie but he he chose to um and as far as kate jackson well uh hiller saw her in a tv movie called thin ice and and he just i guess admired her work and uh pitched the role to her and she agreed um, so there you go. That That's just, you know, uh, the making of a movie and, you know, Harrison Ford, William Hurt, Tom Berenger, Peter Strauss, they all said, no, no, no. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the, in the spirit of making love and, um, gay pride month, uh, we're just going to take a few minutes to talk about, this type of movie, if you will. So, uh, Making Love is a film that uh, was groundbreaking in the sense that there really hadn't been anything like it done before. I mean, for goodness sake, the movie got an R rating simply because two men kissed. But it was a major motion picture release. This Mm -hmm. played in all theaters. This was a it was groundbreaking in many ways, and we shouldn't forget that. No matter what we, th- no matter what we think about the movie, we shouldn't forget that it really was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there are some films that have been made uh, that are of a similar groundbreaking status, and from time to time we talk about. Um, how younger generations, perhaps today's, uh, you know, uh, young adults uh, might perceive the world and whether or not, you know, somebody would watch a black and white film because that's old or that movie came out on VHS. Well, I'm going to volunteer a small handful of films that I think 
might not get made today just because thankfully we have made progress, but at the same time, you know, some people don't want to look to the past because they think um, it's uh, just too dark for them. So uh, by the 90s, we had uh, some films like with Tom Hanks, we had Philadelphia, you know, it was about... Yeah, an attorney who is HIV positive who had AIDS. You couldn't get two bigger stars, Tom Hanks and uh, Denzel Washington. No, couldn't get two bigger stars. They were in it. And uh, I wasn't that. It, it, wasn't it Antonio Banderas that played his yes. his boyfriend? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, he's. This is a case in point. Um, Harry Hamlin has been interviewed. And it's been said that making love was made in such a time frame that this was the end of some of these people's careers on the big screen. They had to go to work on the small screen. So, uh, you know, in a decade or so later, you get a film like Philadelphia. That's got Tom Hanks, as we were just talking about, and Antonio Banderas. Did that change their careers? I think it probably opened more doors for them because it showed their willingness to accept roles that are diverse and it showcased their, their range of talent. But uh, you know, we, we don't get films like Philadelphia nowadays because we have made progress and we do have more equality but uh, it, it, it's it's harder for people to understand how things were in different times. Um, well, I think maybe I, I think what you're getting at is the darker tone of these early movies, all the way mm-hmm. back to the Leather Boys. Holy shit! From the '60s, black and white from Britain. I mean, talk about dark. Mm-hmm. This. This was a movie that was very dark, and it was about homosexual men. Oh, Lordy. Uh, uh, Boys in the Band, um, first on Broadway, then in the movies. Not a good time movie. Not exactly great feelings. Uh, uh, Making Love, not exactly the most fun movie to ever watch not really uh and a lot of these early movies attempts to break into um the homosexual themes were pretty dark and then well it just didn't help things that in the 80s hiv uh, happened uh, aids and there was a shitload of movies about aids and how you gonna make that light how are you going to make that not dark? Well, they couldn't. If there's a fun, loving, joyful film about AIDS, I don't know about it. But anyways, all of these movies um, really uh, set a footpath. And eventually, thank God, eventually we did get cinema breakthroughs where uh, Spanking the Arthur just mentioned Jeffrey. That's a great example. There were many that eventually came out that were fun, frivolous, joyful, 
and um, and uh, I think GJ, I think what you're saying is is these, you know, this dark time in in filmmaking about gay themes. Um, I we I think both TJ and I, I we want you to see them. Mm-hmm. We really do. We want you to see them because they're still relevant now. And there's, I mean, there there obviously are plenty of films that we've discussed that harken back to different times. Case in point, our last film, Key Largo from '48. Sure, that may have been made when my father was a child, but it's still relevant today because there are themes within it. And uh, just an honorable mention before we move on here, uh, a a good example of a film that I think um, that was made from when I was a youth that... um, Ute. Ute. (laughs) That wouldn't necessarily... um, you know, uh, grab hold these days because due to progress, and I said it is a good thing. I am saying it's positive. Uh, you know, you can possibly invite your same sex love interest to your high school prom. Didn't happen when I was growing up. It started to, but uh, a movie that I'd like to suggest for anybody who may be of a younger generation. Uh, and uh, needs some perspective is a movie from 98 called Edge of 17. And uh, it's a wonderful film because this boy is still in school and it's basically set in the heartland. He's in Ohio and uh, he basically has to sneak out of the house to go to a gay bar because that's the only place that he feels accepted. And um, I think it's the screen debut of comic Leah Delaria, a very notable uh, part of the LGBTQ community. So, um, so Toppy, we are at the, uh, almost the end of our hour. And uh, also um, I want to encourage Spanky Tom, everybody, Janet, Crone, Billy, those are all the, the kind folks that are joining us live because we are doing this live right now. And there are people listening to us live. Uh, yeah. Like it's already started, but throw down the names of, of fun gay movies uh, that have been coming out um, while we, while we end the show, throw the movies, uh, throw those names out and I'll read them at the end. Um uh, we need to uh, uh, talk about uh, DJ. Mm-hmm. If, if uh, folks liked uh, or are interested in making love, uh, what's something else that you would recommend? Okay, so this is our snack tray, as Toppy said. Things that are similar to making love in that vein. And uh, I'm going to mention a film that was made about a decade later. And this starred up-and-coming actor Jim Carrey, of course, uh, who got his start on In Living Color on Fox. And uh, has James Sicking, uh, who was an actor from Hill Street Blues, and he was the father from Doogie Howser. 
And here's a, a Star Trek connection for you. He was the first captain of the Excelsior before Sulu in Star Trek Three. So, mm. um, this, it always comes back to Star Trek. Oh, and oh, if you sorry. want some more, the guy who did the score for tonight's film uh, wrote the music for Star Trek Four: Voyage Home. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> All right, there you go, folks. Okay, so 92, this film with Jim Carrey and James Sicking. It's about a young college student, his family's golden child, who brings his fiance home to meet them. This is called Doing Time on Maple Drive. It's a little bit of a hard watch, but it's um an early attempt by Jim Carrey to play a serious role and it's it's actually really good. Huh. Okay, I don't know about that. Uh folks, the movie I'm going to recommend was done a decade before Making Love and it was done for television. And that is a, a te- made for TV movie called That Certain Summer. It starred Hal Holbrook, Martin Sheen, Hope Lang, Jodan Baker, and Scott Jacoby, who won an Emmy Award for his performance as Hal Holbrook's young son, Nick. The teleplay was by Richard Levison and William Blink. And this movie, uh, made for TV, That Certain Summer, is considered the first sympathetic depiction of a gay of gay people on television. Produced by Universal Television, it was broadcast as an ABC movie of the week on November 1st, 1972. And it received a number of television awards and nominations. Uh, the movie is also recognized as being the first network drama to depict a stable same-sex couple, and the first to depict a gay parent. So I'm recommending if you uh, were interested in making love, see that certain summer. Hmm. There you go. Okay. So before we finish off and uh, figure out what's going uh, up ne- coming up next... If you'll peek over the balcony for me, Toppy, let us know who was in the chat room with us tonight. We have the other mysterious Cronhaven. We had uh, your hubby um, here, uh, Billy. Uh, we have Janet. We have Spanking B. Arthur. We have our old pal, Tommy Hash Browns. And I want to read some of the movies um, that they've been um <laughs> talking about so a whole lot came out so bear with me dj mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, here we go i've got to find the part where we get the bad okay so, uh, spanky uh, started off he says as far as movies that are kind of fun and gay and uh, uh he recommends another gay movie he recommends another gay sequel another movie called but I'm a cheerleader. Johnny Hashbrown's chimed in with Rocky Horror. There you go. Also, Tootsie. Spanky says, was Tootsie gay? And Tommy <laughs> says, ish, kind of. Uh, Spanky says, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Good 
Lord, I love that movie. Uh, let's see. Spanky also says, Love, Simon. Cronehaven mm-hmm. uh, says, um, oh, uh, best line ever was from Some Like It Hot. I don't remember what that line was. I think I do, but uh, it is famous. I know that. Um, uh, Spanky says, Broken Hearts Club. Alex Strange Club. Uh, let's see if we oh, got any others. What? It, Sp- what do you got? Spanky has got one that I was going to mention. It's an what Aus- is it? It's an Australian film, and we love those because um, uh, uh, Muriel's Wedding is one of those. Oh. But Beautiful uh-huh. Thing, which features two friends who ends up having quite a lot in common, and it's uh, it's a quite a wonderful film because these are just ordinary average joe type people you know they're they're not twinks they're not otters they're not bears any of the animal nature that we call in the gay community they're right? they're just young boys who happen to be neighbors and go to school together who right. find something in common all right very good well this was lovely dj um a great way to start pride month here on matinee minutia Let's see. You know, I think we're going to get in another episode before Pride Month is over. We sure are. Would you mind uh, putting uh, getting that money out so I could put it in the magic gumball machine? All right. Here's that bag of coins the magician left because mm. lots of things happened here in the past. Mm-hmm. Ah, here we go. Thank you. I'll put it in here. Ooh, you want to open that or shall I? Uh, DJ, would you please open the capsule that has our next uh, topic? Okay. All right. So our next episode is going to be on the third Friday of this month, still Pride Month, Friday, June 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is our second film of Pride Month. We have a returning guest, a uh, mid-Atlantic cosplay oh boy hostess with a mostest oh, she's coming back demand a martini will be Yay. pulling up to the drive all right and uh this is a film by the future director of 2018's love simon this is starring from lois and clark mr gene kane and future star of scrubs zach braff also from fraser john mahoney he played oh. the dad isn't that great? And up-and-coming theater actor Billy Porter. Good lord. You gotta be kidding. Cast. This is an insight into the turbulent lives and loves of a gay clique based in Los Angeles. Next time, we're going to be discussing with Demanda Martini the Broken Hearts Club right here on Matinee Minutia. Oh, fabulous. Do we know what you're... What was the well, year Broken Hearts gander. Club came out? I'd I like to know. I think that that was 90s, but I will go ahead and yeah, let's uh, find out check before the tubes we go. and wires here. Let's see. Broken Hearts Club came out, oh, exactly, in 2000. Okay, all right. Uh, this will be new to me. I have not seen it, so I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, folks, you don't want to miss Amanda Martini. She's a bit of a sensation every time she visits here. It's a party every time we discuss a B-movie, and I think 
in another life, Demanda had a public access show. (laughs) (laughs) All All right. right. Uh, This was a great one, DJ. Thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. And if you would do us the honor, sir, say good night in the ways of the old days of radio. Good night in the old days of radio. (laughs) (laughs) Who's on first? I don't know. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio, enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.